And then this morning, we've got a very special guest who's here with us today. He's no stranger to the Bridge Church, but he's one of my favorite people in the whole world. Joel Holm is with us today. He's going to be sharing God's Word. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Let me tell you, I heard first service message. It was outstanding. Your heart is going to be touched. You're going to hear some things you've probably never heard before. It's going to be awesome today. But before he comes, I just want to tell you, Joel's with us pretty much every year. And when Joel comes, he comes and gives a great message. He never talks about himself. He never tells you what he's doing with ministry. When I ask him, he won't even tell me. I have to pry it out of him. You know what? This guy is involved in ministry all over the world, training leaders, not just for this generation, but for the next generation as well. And his ministry is touching tens and hundreds of thousands. Literally over time, it'll probably touch at least a million people in our world because of how he's involved doing ministry. And he goes places where nobody wants to go. I know that because he sent me to one of those places and I'm not going back anymore. That, that's how I learned that. But this guy's got amazing stories. He just returned from a trip to Bulgaria and Egypt doing ministry training there. Some new doors have opened. I've asked him to talk about it a little bit. But this guy's great. And, and above all else, he's, he is what he says in the pulpit. He lives what he preaches. Great man of God. Put your hands together. Welcome Joel Holm. Thanks, Garrett. Hey, it is really, really good to be with you. And uh, yeah, I want to express my gratitude, your prayers, your support. For those of you who don't know me, um, I spent a lot of my time traveling around the world training younger pastors. I just got an invitation, for example, next year to go to Cuba, about 2,000 young pastors and leaders in Cuba who really need training and equipping. And that's kind of cool because it's a significant number, but I think God counts by one. One sheep, one pastor, one coin. You are one that he counts by. And I just came out of uh, Bulgaria where we pulled young pastors out of Ukraine. And the strain and the stress and the pressure they are under to try to pastor churches and navigate, you know, humanitarian aid. And to be able to help them and encourage them. And I want you to know that when, when I go into those places, because my relationship with Gary and Ann and with the bridge, I feel like I'm an extension of you. And I appreciate your prayers. Earlier this year, I was in Asia and they asked me, I was training a lot of young pastors, they said, would you meet with uh, like 20 young, young women in their 20s? And I said, sure. And then I discovered that these young women were all widows and all senior pastors because their husbands had died during the pandemic. So not only did they become widows, they immediately inherited the church, many of them with young children. And I thought, if we can just do anything to help them, encourage them, inspire them. So thank you so much for all your prayers and support. Because sometimes when you look at everything in the world, you just go, wow, it's a crazy world we're living in. Who is in control of this? And a lot of times we'll look at the world in global regions or even nationally or our society and all the craziness. But usually we ask that question most when we look at our own life. Every one of us in here probably has a prayer that we have lifted to the Lord and we're waiting for an answer. And in that waiting period, there can be hope or there can be despair. And this morning, the Lord knew you were coming. He's not surprised by it. He is here before you got here. And if you'll open up your mind and your heart, he wants to speak distinctly to you, uniquely to where you are at. Because when we come together for church, it's not just coming together to have a service. 
Each of us want to have a divine encounter with God. Each of us want to hear what he has to say. So open your hearts, open your minds. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you were here before we got here. You're waiting for us. And so we open our hearts and minds. Jesus, we need to hear from you. We need to sense and know your presence. We thank you, Lord God, that you are always so faithful to give us exactly what we need. So we listen now, eager with anticipation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there always is that situation where you've got a need, you've got hardship. As Gary said, life really stinks sometimes. And you lift that up and then you wait. And a lot of times we think about all that we need to be doing. And we wonder and we're waiting for an answer. And when the answer comes, then we go, oh, God did something. But in that waiting period, what we don't realize is Jesus is really at work. Right now, whatever your need is, whatever your hardship is, whatever question you have, whatever fear you have, did you know this week Jesus is at work for you? He's working hard for you. Because we tell people, trust Jesus. But what does that mean? It seems a little vague. Do I trust the historical Jesus and what he did on the cross? Do I trust the future coming cosmic Jesus? No. Today, in this moment, this afternoon, Jesus is working for you. And because when you know what he's doing for you, you can trust him. The question is, do you know what Jesus is doing for you right now? See, God knew we would have that question, so he put a story in the New Testament that illustrates for us, here is Jesus at work for you right now. Oftentimes we talk about what we should be doing as Christians. This morning, I think God wants us to kind of hit the pause on what we're doing and put the focus on what he is doing. This story is in the Gospel of John and in the 11th chapter. And it's a story about two sisters who, like us, offer a prayer to Jesus. They give it as a note because their brother has gotten sick. And they're expecting Jesus to do something, and he doesn't act the way they think he should. Let's read the first part of this in John 11, starting in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory that this God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard the la- that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. For Mary and Martha, this makes no sense. The one you loved is sick. Their expectation is Jesus is going to come right away. He's going to answer right away. And we have that same expectation. We lift a prayer to God and we say, of course he will. We know what the word says. We know what the promises are. Of course he's going to act. And then it doesn't happen. And Jesus says, no, let's wait. And that waiting period becomes really difficult for us. And in that waiting period, you will find yourself either growing in hope and faith or growing in despair and anxiety. And we go through what Mary and Martha went through. There's this like cycle. We begin with an expectation. Of course God's going to work. I remember when my dad told me that he had cancer. I thought, if anybody's going to be healed by cancer, it'll be my dad. He was a missionary for 30 years. He loves God. He sacrificed everything. Of course. And then the healing didn't come at first. And we realized dad would have to go through the surgery and the chemo. 
And from an expectation comes kind of a disappointment. And in the disappointment, there's confusion. Sometimes there's regret. And it leads to a despair. Because we lose the capacity to trust Jesus because we don't realize right now Jesus is at work. We may not think we see anything, but it doesn't mean he's not at work. And we're going to read the rest of the story, and it's a bit of a long story, but I want you to listen as I read it and look for what Jesus is doing because the story is put in the New Testament to show us here's what Jesus is doing. Not Mary, not Martha, surely not Lazarus. Here's what Jesus is doing. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, there's the regret. If you had been here, if I had prayed harder, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I now know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now there's an interaction with Mary. Now Jesus, who had not entered the village, was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been there with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad order, for he's been there for four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him be free. It's a unique story because it's all about what Jesus is doing, nothing about what we're doing. And it's put there for us to understand our job is to trust Jesus because he's actually the one who's at work for you. And he's doing all kinds of things that this story illustrates. The first thing he's doing starts not actually at the beginning of the story, but at the end we get a hint to it because he's in front of the tomb. He makes this statement. It's only like two or three places in the New Testament you see the son and the father talking together. And Jesus says, I thank you that you always hear me. And what he's referring to is when Jesus got the note from Mary and Martha, he doesn't go for multiple days, but he begins immediately having a conversation with the Father. Jesus and the Father begin to talk about Mary and Martha. They begin to talk about Lazarus. Here's what Jesus is doing for you right now. He's talking to the Father about you. 
the son and the father, they're having a conversation about you. I don't know the details of the conversation, but I know it's got faith and hope and the good plans we sang about during worship time. Whatever your hardship is, whatever your difficulty is, how can I trust Jesus? Because right now, the son and the father, they're talking about me. When I have a hardship and I tell my friends about that, I may tell Gary about it, and Gary says, Joel, I'll pray for you. And I know that Gary is praying to the Lord for me. It encourages me. But it's a whole nother dimension when I discover the son and the father are talking about me. They're fully aware. They're making plans. And you can trust them because right now there's a busyness about them in having that conversation. Hebrews talks about the Lord as an intercessor, making intercession for us. A lot of times when we're going through hardships and we are waiting, we have this thought in my mind, is God really on my side? Does he really care? And the answer is yes. How do you know that? Because right now he's talking. Right now there's a conversation. And you can put a confidence in that activity. Sometimes God even lets us peek into that activity in our spirit where we have a sense of what's going on. But I know this, is that if I know that the Father and Son are having a conversation, I want my conversation on earth to mirror that. I want my conversation to have the same level of faith and hope that's there to match that conversation. So even though I don't have my answer yet, even though I'm in that waiting period, faith begins to well up inside of me. Why? Because I'm not the only one involved in my situation. There's a conversation going on in the heavenlies about you right now. Do you believe it? The son and the father, they're talking about you. They're describing what you're going through. They're making plans that are so good. You go, I can trust Jesus because of that conversation going on. Then Jesus finally shows up, right? He comes on the scene, and you think he's going to do the miracle, but he doesn't do the miracle. Martha comes running out to him, and she engages in this conversation with Martha, which seems strange. It's like, get to the job at hand. Bring the solution. No, he's going to have a conversation. And he says this to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? It's like he's giving her a teaching. And here's what's happening. And here's what Jesus is doing right now that is so important for us to get a hold of. Otherwise, we'll miss it. Jesus isn't just praying for you. Jesus is wanting to reveal himself to you. He's not just bringing a solution to Martha. He's bringing a greater revelation of who he is to Martha. And that's what he wants to do for us. Because when we're waiting, we are in the most teachable moment of our life. And if we'll open up our hearts and minds to say, God, don't just bring the solution, but bring me a greater revelation of who you are. Because here's how we normally go about it. We have a problem. We need a solution. I've got this problem. I lift it up to the Lord. Bring me the solution. And although the Lord is bringing the solution, here's what he does. You have a problem, I'm going to bring you the solution, but before I do that, I want to bring you a revelation of who I am. I want you to discover me in a greater way. Because one of the things I've learned, I'm really old, and I've been on this planet for a long time, and I have a problem, I get a solution. Inevitably, when I get the solution, in a matter of months, I got another problem. And then I need another solution. 
And then after a year, I got another problem. Then I need another solution. And if my faith is simply expressed by problem, solution, problem, solution, my faith will be a roller coaster ride. But in between my problem and solution, he comes to me like he comes to Martha and Mary, and he comes to you this week, and he wants to show you a greater dimension of who he is. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? For some of you this week, I am your counselor. Do you believe that? I am your healer. Do you believe that? I am your Prince of Peace. Do you believe that? Before he brings the solution. Because there are times in our life when even the solution isn't enough. But Jesus, he's the answer to my heart need. He's the answer to my soul need, not just the solution. There's a story in the New Testament. It's a cool story. Jesus is in a house, and it's just packed with people. And there's a guy, and he's paralyzed from the neck down, and he's got four really cool friends because they vandalize the house. They tear a hole in the roof of the house to lower their friend in because they know our friend's got a problem. Jesus is a solution. So they're going to bring him to Jesus. And this body comes down through the roof, and the whole house kind of steps back, and they're all knowing, here comes an answer, here comes a solution, here comes a miracle, and Jesus goes up to the guy who's laying on the cot, and everybody's thinking, he's going to bring the miracle, and Jesus doesn't. He says this, your sins are forgiven. Now he's going to bring the miracle, but before he brings the miracle, before he brings the solution, he brings a revelation. Your sins are forgiven. And I can imagine the guy laying on the cot going, Really? I mean, thanks for the spiritual thought, but what I need to do is walk. I wonder if Jesus looked at him and said, you think your greatest need is walking. Look at all these people in this house. They all walk. You think they're all happy? You think they're all full of joy? Jesus knows that our greatest need actually isn't the solution. Our greatest need is him. He will bring the solution because he cares about you. But he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Will you believe this? This week, while you are waiting, don't miss the opportunity for the greatest revelation of Jesus in your life. Why can I trust him? Because he's talking to the Father about me. There's a conversation going on. Why can I trust him? Oh, you can't imagine what he is showing about me and what I'm learning about me. I remember talking to my dad when he had the cancer. My dad said, wow, Joel, if I have to go through this, my prayer is, God, at least teach me something. Let me learn something more about you. And I know my dad was kind of saying it for himself, but he was really saying it for me. If I have to be a son who walks through his dad's cancer with him, then give me that revelation. This week, who do you need Jesus to be greater than your solution? And if I can ask really honestly, has your focus been so much on the problem and solution that you haven't kind of said, okay, Lord, I'll put that on hold. Just show me yourself. Let me discover you. He comes to Martha and says, I am the resurrection and the life. I want to show you myself. And that builds in us a faith that we can trust him. Then it gets very interesting because if you read in John eleven thirty three, 33, he shows up and there's the whole crowd. And something unique happens in John eleven thirty three. 33. It says this, when Jesus saw her weeping, this is Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Now that word trouble doesn't come across well in the English language. It means he was really angry. He was really, really angry. There's a word I would like to use. My wife, my wife says it would be inappropriate for me to use that word in church. He's really ticked off. Here's what's happening. He sees the sickness. He sees the sorrow. He sees the despair. He sees the doubt. And he realizes this is not the world that God created it to be. God did not design a world where there should be sickness and evil and suffering. He did not design a world where his children have despair and anxiety and doubt. And it makes Jesus really, really angry. And a lot of times when we're in that waiting period, we have this thought, how can this be happening? It's so unfair. And you know what Jesus would say? You're right. It is unfair. It is not right. We live in this world. And Jesus is angry. And here's what he's doing. He is fighting for you. He realizes that the world is not right, that the world is not fair, and he is battling for you. He agrees with you that this is wrong, and he's doing something about it. He is praying for you. He is revealing himself to you, but he's also fighting for you. He went from village to village, answering people's needs, healing the sick, casting out demons, providing what they needed to provide. And when he saw the sorrow and he saw the sickness, he never said this, why would a good God allow this to happen? What he said was, we are at war, and I'm taking authority over this. He is the one who fights for you. But sometimes when we're in that waiting period, we try to do all the fighting for ourselves. And some of you are here, and you're exhausted, and you're tapped out. And you've been trying to fight a battle that he wants to fight for you. Where you go, wow, why can I trust Jesus? Because he's fighting for me. And I don't have to fight that fight in that way. Paul said, we fight the good fight of faith. My fight is to trust him. His fight is to actually just defeat the enemy and defeat sin and defeat evil. And there's a picture of this in the Old Testament. It's a story many of us would be familiar with. It's a story of this giant named Goliath who was an enemy to the nation of Israel, God's people. And here are the soldiers, and they cannot defeat this enemy. And the soldiers are in the corner, and they're shaking, and they're full of fear, and they're paralyzed. And when we hear about the story of David and Goliath, oftentimes we see ourselves as David. i got to fight the giant in my life. We're not David. We're the soldiers. We're paralyzed. Because that giant is just too big. We don't know what to do. And into the story comes a shepherd a picture of Christ. And the shepherd looks at the giant and he looks at the people of God and he's going, why? Why are you so afraid? We have God. And he doesn't condemn them and he doesn't judge them. He goes, I will be your substitute. I will fight for you. And the shepherd puts himself in the place of the soldiers, us, the people of God, and he destroys the enemy. And the moment the enemy is destroyed, it says all the Israelite soldiers, all of a sudden, all this courage came up inside of them. Oh, because our shepherd has destroyed the enemy, we have all this courage, and they chase down the Philistines, and they destroy the whole empire. It's a picture of what Jesus is doing. Right now, Jesus is fighting for you. He is doing the battle for you. And for some of us, we need to just step back and go, Lord, i got to trust that you are fighting for my children. You are the one who's battling for them. You are the one who's fighting against evil in my workplace. 
You are the one who's doing this kind of battling. And for me, I just got to stand firm because what is right is coming. This story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus has all these pictures of Jesus. They roll the stone away to give us a picture of Christ and his resurrection. And while you are waiting, while you've offered the prayer, and you're waiting for an answer, you trust Jesus, because the Father and Son are talking about you. You are the priority of their conversation. You trust Jesus, because he's revealing himself to you. And he becomes so real and so true. And you trust Jesus, because he's fighting for you right now. He's the one who's doing the battle. Your battle is just, will you trust him? And courage starts to come up in you because you know, I do not have to fight this battle alone. I got the Lord doing the heavy lifting. Then the story continues and it gets really unusual because you're thinking, well, now is the time for miracle. He's had the prayer time with God. He's shown up. He's revealed himself. He's shown how he's angry and he's going to do something about this and fight it. And you think, now's the miracle. But then something else happens. Mary comes out. And whereas he had a conversation with Martha to reveal himself, he doesn't do that with Mary. He sees Mary and he sees her sorrow and he sees the people who are weeping. Shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus cries. And the word cry there doesn't mean like he just shed a tear. He's wailing. You ever wondered why? Why would he be crying? I mean, imagine it. It's a funeral. It's going to turn into the greatest celebration and party ever. He knows he's going to do a miracle, and all of this morning is going to turn into dancing. And yet when he shows up, he weeps. I got to tell you, if I'm Jesus, and I show up to that situation, and I know I've got this miracle in my back pocket, everything in me it would take not to crack a smile and go, I know something you don't know. But he doesn't do that. He weeps. He is so connected to your pain. He feels your hurt so deeply that he wants you to know you never cry alone. Even though he's bringing your answer, he cries with you. And it's genuine. Because a lot of times when we're in that waiting period and we've offered a prayer and there's no answer and we begin to think, wow, does anybody get me? Nobody really understands. I know I have friends and they care, but they're not the ones who got the diagnosis. I know I have friends and they care, but they don't have the son who's gone off the rails. The people around me, they're not the ones who are going through this soul-wrenching divorce. Does, doesn't anybody get me? And you can trust Jesus. Because not only is he praying for you, revealing himself to you, fighting for you, but this story makes it really clear. He gets you. He cries with you. He understands when you put your head on the pillow at night, and tears fill your eyes because of the crisis that you're in, more than anything, he wants you to know you are not crying alone tonight. He is bringing the answer, 
But even before he brings the answer, he brings you his heart. Because when we are going through that hardship, we want to be seen. We want to be understood. And so oftentimes, we feel all alone like nobody else gets this. And the pain of the hardship is just as hard as the pain of feeling invisible. And right now, you need to know, Jesus sees right into you. He sees into the most vulnerable, hurt places of your heart, your mind, and your fears. He looks at you and he cries with you. It is the gaze that we long for. It is the gaze that changes our hearts. It's really the only gaze that matters where I can say, I am not alone. When Jesus was on the cross, do you know who he was thinking about? Do you know who he was looking at? You. And you can trust him. No matter what hardship you're going through, no matter what difficulty you're going through, you can trust him. Why? Because he gets you and he is crying with you. He fully gets it. It's like when he cries with Mary and Martha, he's giving them permission to be weak. Sometimes we have this sense, well, if I'm going to see the answer come, i got to be strong and i got to be in faith and I've got to have the courage and i got to do all that. And we put this burden on ourselves that i got to make this happen. Like somehow i got to unlock the key of God and then it'll work. And he says, listen, it's okay. Cry. I'm crying with you. I get it. Life sucks sometimes. And it's hard. And he gives you permission to be weak. My wife and I were asked to go see a, a young mom. She was in her early 30s. She had three little kids. And really, in an immediate moment, her husband left her for another woman, and she was devastated. We walked in the living room, and we sat down with her. And her first words were, you know, this is really hard, but i got to be strong, and I've got to be in faith. And the Lord kind of whispered something for me to share with her. And I looked at her. I said, Mary, God gives you permission to be weak. And she just began to weep. And maybe there's some of you who are here this morning. And maybe even out of a right intent, you've been trying to be strong, but if you're honest, you go, I'm doing that out of my own effort. Can I tell you something? God gives you permission to be weak. Because when we're weak, He's strong. And that weakness sometimes is shown just by prayer and crying and weeping. And when we do that in that window of waiting, comfort comes. This morning for some of you, all Jesus wants to do is comfort you. By the simple truth, he's crying with you. He gets you. So here's the story. Jesus is talking to the Father. I can trust him. Jesus is revealing himself to me. I can trust him because I get that revelation. Jesus is fighting for me. I'll trust him because he's doing the heavy lifting. Jesus is crying with me. I can trust him because he gets me. And now you get to the very end of the story and you think, well, now he's going to do the miracle. But he makes this statement that's so interesting. In John eleven forty. he says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Here's what he's telling them, and here's what he's telling us. He says, I'm not just going to bring a solution. I'm going to do something far greater. Through your hardship, through your pain, through your circumstance, I'm going to bring God glory. Through you, I'm going to bring God glory. Apparently, that child who has kind of gone off the rails, 
When they come back on the rails, God's going to get incredible glory. Through your issue, through your situation, he's not just going to bring a solution. He's actually going to bring the glory of God. And the idea that my life and even my hardship is a means by which God gets glory, it's a means by which the people around me discover the goodness of God, all of a sudden now I look at my hardship much differently. He's not just bringing my solution. He didn't cause your hardship. He didn't cause your sickness. He didn't cause your suffering. But he will use it for a greater agenda. And I can trust Jesus. Why? Because I know he's got a bigger plan than just solving my problem. And that bigger plan is going to bring him glory. And my life, I get it. The mountains bring him glory. I understand that. The angels bring him glory. I understand that. But me? My hardship? means that there's going to be a worshiping of God by people in my world when this story resonates? Yeah, I can trust him. My dad was on the hospital floor after his surgery and had been there just for about two days recovering from his surgery and I went up to see him and before I got to his room, the head nurse of the floor came to me and she said, are you Pastor Jack's son? I said, yeah. She said, you know, your dad's only been here a few days, but our floor is completely different. I said, what do you mean? He said, she said, well, you see, your dad, you know, he's got his IV hooked up with the whole thing, and he walks from room to room, and whoever will let him into his room, he sits next to them, and he opens the Bible and begins to read them verses of hope and faith. He'll take his IV stand, and he'll walk into another room, and if they'll let him, he'll pray with them on God's goodness, pray for healing for them. And I discovered my dad wasn't just a cancer patient. My dad was a missionary to cancer patients. And through that hardship, and it was hard, God received such glory. People came to know his goodness and his healing power and his love. And through that hardship, what sustained us was not what we were doing, not how devoutly we were praying, That's what Jesus was doing. This morning, it's like Jesus says, listen, I'm at work. I'm at work. Your job, trust me at work. I'm talking to the Father about you. Know that those conversations are full of hope and faith. Whatever your situation is, if you're one of the youth that's in here and you're wondering about your future and where I'm going to go to school and what kind of a job will I get, right now, Jesus is having a conversation with the Father about your future. And it's a great conversation. Right now, this week, I promise you, if you will open your heart and mind and have the faith to just say, okay, I'm going to shelve the preoccupation with the solution. Jesus, show me yourself. You will discover more of Jesus that will meet your heart and your soul need while yet having the confidence it's coming. But while I wait, he's active and he's showing himself to me. Some of you come here and you have just been carrying a weight trying to battle this battle on your own. And Jesus says this morning, just let it go. Your battle is trust. I'll do the heavy lifting. I'll fight the enemy. 
I'll fight the evil. I'll fight the wrong and the injustice. And some of you who are here this morning and really just the simple truth that you don't cry alone, that Jesus weeps with you. He knows you so well. He loves you so much. He is so connected to you. Tonight, when the answer hasn't yet come and you go to bed and you're crying, you do not cry alone. So what I'm gonna ask you to do, whatever you stand to their feet, and I'm gonna give you a moment with the Lord just to respond. Because in this moment, by the Spirit of God, He wants to show Himself to you. He knew you would be here this morning. He knows what burden you're carrying in your heart, in your mind. For some of you, it's a real issue. For some of you, it's just fear or anxiety, whatever it is. This morning, he says, just, would you lift it to me? Would you trust me with it? Would you see me at work this week? Just like I was with Mary and Martha, would you see me working for you? And your job is just trust. Here's what I would think would be a good thing for us to do. If you would just close your eyes and lift your hands. It's like an act of saying, Jesus, I'm not going to try to fix this anymore. It's beyond my capacity. It's beyond my control. I'm not going to try to figure it out anymore. I'm not going to carry this weight by myself anymore. I'm not going to try to fight it all alone. Whatever that is that you carry in your heart and your soul, you are lifting it to Jesus right now. Just lift it to him. Literally feel the release, the weight being taken off your shoulders. Jesus, I pray right now, you, as only you can, would become so intimately real to each of us. You see our hands lifted to you, Lord. It's because of what you are doing, that you are at work, that we trust you. And this weight, this burden, this hardship, this need, this crisis, this broken relationship, this illness, this fear, this despair, we just lift it all to you like right now, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for those who need to know they are not alone and that you care and you have not forgotten about them. May they see you and the Father right now having a conversation. May that be a vivid picture. Lord, for those who are here this morning and they feel distant from you, this week, Jesus, we open up our hearts and minds. Would you reveal yourself to us? Would we discover a new dimension of you just like Martha did? This week, would we open up your word and just be blown away by a revelation of who you are, that it would sustain us and bring us strength and comfort Lord, I pray for those who need to see you as David. Would you instill in us a confidence that you are fighting this battle? This is your fight, Jesus. We are grateful that you are a God who is angry at the injustice, that you see it, you know it, you feel it, 
Our battle is one of trust, but you are the one who is battling evil, Lord. I pray you would impress that upon people in this room this morning, people watching online. And Jesus, for anyone who is here and they have spent this week crying, would you show us how you cry with us? How you weep with us? that you get us, that you understand that we are not alone and thus we can trust you. May this week, if the answer doesn't come, may this week be a week of comfort and courage and faith and hope. Not because of us, but because of you. As you lift your hands, Lord, would you just in your own words quietly just Tell him thank you. Just thank you that we have a Lord who is that intimately connected to us, that actively engaged. Some of us don't have family who will be this involved, but we have Jesus. Just thank him. Lord, I pray for each person who's here. I pray especially for those, and there may be some of you here, and you've never actually given your life to Christ. And your act of hands lifted up is a way of saying, Jesus, I got these problems. And I'm giving my problems to you, but I'm also giving myself to you. I believe you died on the cross and resurrected for my sins and for my eternity, and I give you my life. And if that's you, you just whisper that prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We can't even begin to imagine how hard you work for us. And we thank you. And we trust you. We trust you. We pray this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. 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 Can we say thank you to Pastor Joel for that amazing message this morning? Amen. Hey, just for one more minute, why don't you grab a seat right there where you're at? And maybe just a moment ago, you just joined with Pastor Joel as he prayed that prayer. And for you, this was like your first moment of stepping into relationship with Jesus. Maybe for you it was a, a, a sort of homecoming. Maybe for you it was, was coming back to God. And we just want to tell you, first off, that is the best decision you could ever make with your life. But it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. And we have something that we want to give you. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's a small booklet, little bit of reading over the next week that we promise will help you in your faith journey and the next steps that you're going to be taking. You can get it in a couple ways. Number one, right after service, there's going to be prayer teams right down here along the front of the building. They're here and ready to pray with anybody. Maybe you're walking through something right now and you need some personal prayer. They're here. There are people of faith ready to pray with you. And if, you're, if you gotta go quick, you can come down, hey, can I get that booklet? I prayed the prayer. Maybe you're gonna jet really fast because your football team's playing right now and you gotta get and go probably see them lose. I don't know. Raiders fan, you know? <laughs> if you gotta go quick, there's a, there's a table right, right outside, right before you get to the glass doors. You'll see the next seven days up top. Stop there. Tell them, hey, I prayed the prayer. Can I get the booklet? They'll get it to you. More than anything, we just want to help you walk these next few steps of your faith journey. And we want to just encourage you and say, hey, this is the best decision you could ever make with your life. And you just joined a family that loves you. And so, hey, can we just welcome people into God's family right now? Amen. Amen.
Hey, before we go, um, this is a, a moment where we're just going to take time to worship God with our giving. We see giving as an extension to our worship. And, and as Pastor Joel was speaking, I kept thinking, God can use any part of my situation, circumstance, my life to bring him glory. And a really cool thing is like our giving, my little bit of giving, God can use to bring glory to himself. You heard just a tiny bit, like a, a microscopic bit of the ministry that Pastor Joel is involved in. And, and some of our giving, it supports him and some of his missions work. Even more than that, right here, home, like here in Temecula, so much that our giving goes towards. And then all throughout the world, it would take literally, I mean, it would take months and months to just share with you all the ways that our giving is bringing God glory. As your next-gen pastor, overseeing kids, youth, young adults, man, I'm telling you, your giving's reaching the next generation. Hey, Bridge Youth, help me out here. Hey, we're here to build you up, not... We love you and back you. If you're here and you're new, there is never any compulsion to give, but we love you and, and, and thank you for loving the next generation. Thank you for loving God's work, work and committing to it. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church this morning? I know I have. Hey, there's so many cool things coming up. Connect groups have launched. If you're not in the connect group, get in one. We love you guys so, so much. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. God bless you.